With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. back to the Bless Your Boys podcast. BlessYourBoys.com is your home for all things Detroit Tigers baseball on the SB Nation platform. Let's get the show underway. Uh, welcome back. Yes, this is the Bless Your Boys podcast. This is your host, Brandon Day. Got with me my co-host, Ashley McLennan. Ashley, how's it going tonight? <laughs> Not too bad, Brandon. I feel like we should be honest here. We had a bit of a this false is, start there. Yeah. This is not our first take, is it? <laughs> no, it's not. We might have been uh, almost 10 minutes into the podcast before, oh, something is malfunctioning. We yeah. were so witty. We were so clever. And you guys will never hear that podcast I know. Now. You're just going to get a weak version of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm afraid so. Yeah, I mean, we're, we've been excited, at least, because we are... Uh, now, you know, inside what of three we- weeks, inside yeah. of three weeks um, until pitchers and catchers report. So despite the, the cold air outside, um, it feels like we're starting to get a little bit closer to that. Um, Ashley has um, strange footprints outside her apartment in the snow or outside of her house, house in the snow. Yeah, it, people have been walking right by my, my front door every night. It's uh, not at all terrifying. Because um, when I say front door, it's a side door. <laughs> so you have to actually come into my yard to pass it. Uh, and this is two days in a row that I've seen strangers' footprints in the snow outside it. So we're really, it's a really good time. Super happy about it. Yeah. And in your, you know, in your investigative capacity, you know, you've already discerned that it's two separate people. One a man, one a woman. Yep. <laughs> you got well, the you know, like, down. Or it could be a very dainty footed, footed man. That's fine too. But like the one set of prints is definitely a man dragging his heels. And then the other one was definitely a dainty footed individual of some variety. Oh, uh, dragging their heels. Back back and front does that indicate so, you know tightness in the body or perhaps some kind of lameness i wonder hmm. or just really heavy boots because i also drag my heels <laughs> oh yeah that could be too yeah you just don't want to lift them all the way up out of the snow yeah, yeah. but yeah i like the uh, i like the callback to treasure island which is always one of my favorite books when i was a kid where the guy has the the two cross nails in his boot and leaves the mark outside and just scares the living <laughs> crap out of everyone it's just haunting them for for days and weeks Except, of course, in my case, it's a pretty little flower. So that's how people know I've left my calling card. Yeah. So, you know, I guess the only thing for you to do now is to set some kind of a trap, I suppose. <laughs> uh, 100%. I'm going to be honest with you. We brought in the um, the wildlife cameras that we keep out at the cabin. And we're going to set them up somewhere that they can't be stolen, but that they could potentially record anybody in and out of our yard. Oh, I like it. So yeah, yeah, if there's uh if there's meth heads running a foot, you know, you'll you can get a get an eye on them and know who it is. Which I'm gonna be honest with you, like I I love the idea of catching it, but also I think it's gonna freak me out if I see anybody. Like <laughs> seeing the footprints is one thing, but actually seeing people in and out of your yard is super creepy. Yeah, for sure. Well, and almost anything on one of those cameras looks creepy. Like you could you could use one of those cameras to record like kittens playing, and it would still look somehow kind of ominous. <laughs> just because. Yeah, so I, I have a video like clips. Like I have still images of bears from our backyard in the country and some uh, raccoons. And you definitely do get the flash eyes going, and it is a little bit creepy. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So, yeah, I mean, you know, this is the kind of uh, winter activity we have to look forward to while we wait for baseball to get here. But unfortunately, um, as we, we were saying earlier, before we were so rudely interrupted by my, my incompetence, um, that, yeah, the Tigers, you know, didn't have Fan Fest this year, which kind of put sort of a damper on the winter caravan thing and sort of made it fly under the radar. But there was some, like, fun, like, happy, wholesome baseball content um, coming across the social yeah, media feed. 
Yep. I liked the uh, Nico Goodrum going to Starbucks and yelling at somebody who wasn't there because it was a mobile order. <laughs> um, but I definitely think my favorite picture to come out of it was um, was Daniel Norris um, playing doctor with a little girl. So he was holding the stethoscope up to her and she was just gazing adoringly at him. And it was just beautiful. Yeah. And Ashley was questioning whether or not she might maybe want to have a kid, at least briefly. <laughs> I know. <laughs> like, I'm dead set. Like at this point in my life, I'm never having children. But then I'm like, but maybe that's so cute. I'm like, oh god damn it, Tiger's Caravan! What are you doing? Yep. What have you done to me? Yeah. It's all. It's Daniel Norris. It's the power of Daniel Norris, right there. I'm afraid. It's true. It's very, very true. Yep. Considering all the the disaster of the off season that's gone on with every scandal and rumor, yeah, it's uh, it's just it's just nice to like see the Tigers, like some of them at least, as like nice guys who are going out there having fun with the kids and. Yeah, you know, putting on putting on a little show, brightening everybody's day a little bit, and uh, and cheering people up, and getting the, the kids at least you know somewhat interested in baseball. Hopefully, um, or paying some well, attention. Well, it'd be good because the, by the time those kids can actually process what's happening in baseball, the Tigers might actually be good again. <laughs> yeah, they might be worth watching. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep, exactly. Yeah. So yeah, and and yeah, that may still may still be a little bit of a while. We'll, we'll just have to mm-hmm. see. But we had uh, we had Matt Boyd and Ron Gardenhire and a whole bunch of dad jokes um, as they drove around in a car together. We had some of the new guys like C.J. Crone and Jonathan Scope were um, were in attendance, getting to know their new teammates. Um, saw some of the young guys like John Schreiber was there. Um, so yeah, all in all, like it, it kind of flew under the radar this year because of no Tiger Fest, but um, but it did sort of uh, provide a little bit of levity anyway, considering that this um, this off season, apart from you know, the, the intrigue of the free agent signings and trades, which has actually been pretty busy this offseason. It's otherwise just been a vortex of suck with like one scandal after another popping up. Um, you know, it seems like every week we're either talking about the ball being juiced. We're talking about the Astros and the Red Sox cheating. We're talking about Ugh. Rob Manfred, you know, wanting to cancel, you know, all these teams in the minor leagues so that the owners can squeeze ever more little bit of profit out of the game um so yeah we'll we'll take what we can get and hopefully um there'll be enough to to tide us over for a few more weeks until we get to pitchers and catchers reporting (coughs) and then what's traditional is that after about one week beyond that we're fed up with spring training and really want baseball to get there and then the final (laughs) month is a slog it seems interminable once it's begun like you're like okay i waited all winter and now there's baseball but this baseball is boring and stupid yeah this doesn't even count this is garbage yeah but it is true it's better than nothing and some of them get played on tv so finally we actually get to see live baseball played so i mean there is that to look forward to i always find that usually come the beginning of that first little stretch of spring training that's when i'm most excited for the season yeah where no matter what logic tells me i'm just like this is it this is gonna be their year (laughs) (laughs) like i remember last year the tigers had the like you better believe we're gonna win the world series with like trophy pictures up and i'm like yeah okay guys i believe in you too and that you know common sense and reason don't factor in you're just so excited to have baseball back again yeah just, you know, kind of trying to mentally find a way that they could be, like, kind of in it, you know, halfway through the season. Like, you know, this could be, we could, maybe we could make something happen. And then a couple trades. Yeah. And then, you know, of course, we'll be quickly disabused of, of all those um, those dreams and fantasies. But that's, you know, that's just all another part of it. And that's why um, covering baseball or, or watching baseball is, is good for life lessons. <laughs> yeah. It certainly does teach you how to process disappointment. <laughs> yep. And failure because, yep. And to never have heroes. Yeah, exactly. Unfortunately. <laughs> if the Astro scandal has taught me anything, it's just never, ever have heroes. <laughs> yep. 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 I know. <sighs> yep. It's been rough on that, on that front. Um, let's see. Well, I guess we did have one other, there was one piece of, of kind of cool news, depending on how you feel about Larry Walker, but, um, Derek Jeter, of course, was nearly unanimously elected to Baseball's Hall of Fame. <laughs> and on his final year on the ballot, Larry Walker, um, outfielder for the Rockies, um, I believe. Canadian. Yeah, a, a Canadian. Is he the first Canadian? He's the second Canadian in the Hall of Fame after Fergie Jenkins. Oh, Fergie Jenkins. Chicago. Yeah. Chicago Cubs. Yeah, so that was cool. Um, Larry Walker uh, was, was to very which I fun. learned. I- yeah, uh, much of my delight I learned last week that not only does is Fergie Jenkins still alive, which is phenomenal, um, he also has a Twitter account that is unverified. Oh, really? <laughs> like, 
like one of the greatest pitchers of Cubs history, and he has like 400 or 500 followers and an unverified Twitter account. Oh wow! What's, did he pitch blew in the, my mind in the 60s? The seventies, through the late sixties okay. into the seventies, and he won the Cy Young and had like season after season after season of twenty win seasons, like beyond. Like Fergie Jenkins was amazing. Look up his stats at some point. Okay. He, he to me, and this is just a little segue. He is one of the most underrated Hall of Fame pitchers that I can think of. Well, like if you look at his stats and just look at what he did season after season, it's just woo, just sensational oh right on all right yeah I'll have to, i know the name but that's that's really about it so i'll have to go uh i'll have to go check him out um were you happy for larry walker i miss i was, I was very i was happy yeah. mostly because everybody who wanted larry walker to get in were really really vocal and feared it wasn't going to happen so there was a lot of a lot of people who are big fans who were really happy and that that was cool to see that he uh that he I... managed to sneak in there as a Canadian, I think we just get excited every time something good happens to a Canadian. Um, I love that he received the phone call about getting in while wearing a SpongeBob SquarePants Hawaiian shirt. Yeah. Um, and I just, I love that even earlier that day, he did the very Canadian thing where he's like, hey guys, I'm pretty sure I'm not going to win, but I want to thank everybody for their support. And it really meant the world to see everybody rallying. And I'm like, this is so Canadian. <laughs> you're already like saying, nope, not getting it. And he sure did. So <laughs> the concession it was, speech came first. And also, and I'm sure this is going to make me very unpopular. I was so delighted that a single Hall of Fame voter did not vote for Derek Jeter. Oh, so was I, to be honest. That was that was my one real takeaway was like, that one guy is a hero, whoever it was. And I suspect the reason it was actually done was because I think that person, and I don't think they've made public who it is, but I suspect it's that they had a full 10-person ballot and just opted to use one of their votes for somebody who was less likely to get votes, knowing that Derek Jeter would get in. Yeah, I believe that was that was the case. And really... You know, there's no such thing as like qualifications for being a unanimous first ballot Hall of Famer. But um, if there was, there is only one of them. Yeah, and if there were such qualifications, Derek Jeter doesn't really meet it. So it it was, it was good because just it gave Yankees fans something to be upset about. Not that they need any help, and uh, it gave everyone else you know reason to needle Yankees fans and have fun with it. Because you know, whatever, Derek Jeter was a great shortstop, great player, obviously a Hall of Famer. He's in there. But he just didn't get that one little bit that would have kind of put him on a on a stature or a level he doesn't really belong. If he if doesn't you consider deserve, that to I mean, be something, yeah. Does he deserve to be in the Hall of Fame? Yes. Do I think he deserves to be a unanimous vote when somebody like Babe Ruth or Ty Cobb or Hank Aaron was not? Um, no. <laughs> Do I think he deserves to be a unanimous vote when we can't even get Lou Whitaker, who is a better player by? any stretch of metrics or measure um can't even get in with an like an era's vote no yeah yeah so i think all in all it kind of came out about right like it couldn't have gone too much better than it did so so that was nice to see um but yeah other than that it's just been it's just been scandal 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 ashley it hasn't been yeah uh i'm i'm pretty tired i'm not gonna lie (laughs) been a very active off season and the thing i could have really done without there was a lot of kind of questioning after the astro scandal broke about where's justin verlander what's justin verlander gonna say about this like come on man come out and say your piece and he finally did um during the dinner at which he accepted his cy young award and it was not great it was him coming up to the mic and making a joke about how quote unquote technologically advanced the Astros are um, over other teams. Yeah, with a little bit of a wink in there so that you knew that he knew what he was saying and he was saying it on purpose. And I think CeCe Sabathia was off in one corner looking like he was going to throw something at Justin Verlander. Yeah. And to me, I think my biggest, like, A, don't make jokes when you're still in the peak part of that scandal. Like, you are not at make jokes about this stage when half of your team won't even acknowledge that it's a thing. Yeah. And the other part of me that really is bugged by it is that Verlander has proven to be very outspoken about matters of cheating. you that we would be getting the same kind of response that we're seeing from guys like Bauer, like Mike Clevenger, like these guys who are actively angry 
about what was done to them as pitchers because of this cheating. Can you imagine what Verlander's take on this would have been if he was still with the Tigers? Oh, yeah, for sure. Like... And I think it's fair to say that he, he may be well, out there day one. Yeah, and he may well have been uh, their victim earlier in that 2017 season because there was a game where they got to him for a couple home runs. Um, I think there was a game where the Indians also got to him for like three or four home runs in yeah. fairly suspicious fashion. But yeah, I mean, well, I mean, if at first you don't succeed, try and 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 try again. Yep, yep. There it is. And yeah, I mean. The, the way the Astros continue to handle this is just mind-boggling because they didn't, they came to their fan fest or whatever the hell, Astro fest or whatever they call it, and they had, you know, Jose Altuve and Alex Bregman there, two guys who were at the center of this. Um, if you look at, you know, the, the John Boy Media breakdown of all this, like you'll see mm-hmm. both of them, you know, pretty prominently. And not only did they not have much to say, but they didn't seem prepared to even say anything. It was like somehow they had convinced themselves that they were just going to roll in there and, you know, they weren't really going to be asked about it. And if they were, they were just kind of going to, you know, sort of no comment their way through there with Alex Bregman just saying like, well, you know, the commissioner filed his report and, you know, we accept those findings and, you know, it just is what it is or whatever, whatever kind of blowing it off um, statement he had to say. But you don't get to just go out in public like weeks after this happened and act like, oh, you know, I mean, it's already been decided. It's over with. Um, when it was you, and and the thing that, that is going to be unavoidable is the fact that, yeah, A.J. Hinch, Jeff Lunau both got the hammer put down on them, but all the players who were involved because of various reasons involving their testimony and immunity granted, um, because the league doesn't want to get the union involved, like the guys who actually did this are walking away scot-free while Alex mm-hmm. Cora, Carlos Beltran, A.J. Hinch, all these other guys are, are taking the whole fall. And they all deserve their punishment, no no argument. But, yeah, I mean, it's just incredibly arrogant and cheeky to just go in there and act like, oh, hometown, you know, media, we can just kind of say whatever we want and laugh yeah. it off a little bit and whatever. You can't aw shucks your way through it. Like, oh, well, I guess the MLB decided whatever they decided. Um, no, they found evidence because of testimony from your, you and your fellow players that this was a thing that happened. Um, and you guys are super lucky you're not being punished for it. So why not just go out and acknowledge it? And I don't like the like semi acknowledgements. Like at least Dallas Keuchel, I guess, went out and he's like, yeah, it sure happened. But his was kind of like a, we aren't exactly the only ones half hearted apology. Right. And come on, like, don't, don't. Mm, just... Well, And the sad part was that's coming from a pitcher and that was the most forthright statement that's even come out, come out yet. That was as good as it's gotten so far. Yeah. That's, that's the most it's been. And that was the closest thing we've gotten to anybody just making any kind of acknowledgement that they knew and that they were doing it. And it was a pitcher. So it wasn't even somebody actively participating in the cheating. Yeah. And like you said earlier, like to go back to Verlander, I mean, this kind of goes to a long pattern of Justin Verlander being, you know, very vocally outspoken, you know, against steroids. And then when Johnny Peralta got... domestic abuse. Yeah. When Johnny Peralta got popped, he didn't have anything to say about it. Um, yeah, he was very outspoken about domestic abuse. And when, you know, the Astros controversially traded for Osuna, yeah, didn't say much about it. You know, same thing here, you know, hasn't, hasn't come out and really wanted to, wanted to talk about it very much. And, um, but, but as you say, whenever there were questions about the ball or, you know, sign stealing from other teams, Verlander is one of the most, you know, vocal people out there and it is biting him in the ass right now. Well, it um, makes him look like a hypocrite. Yeah, I mean, he, he is a hypocrite about it. You know, I mean, like, there's no other real way to look at it. And I think, you know, people want him to be outspoken. Like, there aren't too many players in baseball, maybe no players in baseball have more of a platform, you know, than he does because he's been great for so long. You know, everyone everyone knows who he is. Um, he's a bona fide Hall of Famer, no doubt. He's mm-hmm. married to a very famous woman um, that gives him, you know... Who is also very outspoken and has no problem voicing her take on things. So, yep. And that gives, you know, and that gives him, you know, a a light on him that most baseball players don't have. Like TMZ doesn't, you know, give a, give a goddamn what Juan Soto thinks. They probably don't even know who Juan Soto is, but they know who Justin Verlander is. And as the, you know, really one of the faces of that franchise now, who isn't just like someone who came over in a trade, 
um, is a guy who signed there and is one of their most highly paid players and certainly their most famous and, you know, the lock hall of famer on the team. It's, that's the guy who should be showing the leadership here and, and coming out and talking about the fact that, yeah, you know, it sucks that this happened, you know, it's not going to happen again. And, you know, I'm, I'm going to make it part of, you know, part of my sort of leadership role in that clubhouse to make sure that everyone knows this crap is never going to happen again. Um, You know, it, it wouldn't alleviate everything that's happened. And I know like with the Ozuna thing, like you're in a tough spot there because, if you imagine like someone, you know, your boss at work hires someone who has an, a domestic abuse charge, it's like hard to like, you know, process like that. I've got to work with this person. And also I have a huge problem um, with, with what they did. And, you know, I, I mean, I can get that one, but, th- but there's no, there's just no way that you can be that outspoken and then clam up when, you know, the, the worm is turned and it, it's just a real bad look. And, it's tarnishing his legacy, I would say, with a lot of people who two years ago were like, oh, you know, Justin Verlander, after everything he's been through, has come back and is, you know, the, the greatest pitcher of this mm-hmm. era, all that. You know, now those people are all, you know, kind of looking at him like, all right, yeah, well, there's no evidence that the pitcher's cheated, so you're probably in the clear there, but your World Series, you know, the one that you wanted for so long is tainted, and you're kind of coming up here just, like, making jokes about the whole thing, like, oh, you know, you know how it goes, so... Yeah, yeah, not, a, I not, feel not like... a good look. And as a longtime Verlander stan, uh, it it uh, it does pain me to some degree to see it going this this direction. When he, you know, no one wants to do this in these situations anymore, where you just you just admit it. You just I, we made mistakes. You know what we did was wrong. You know I, I'm going to personally take some responsibility for you know never tolerating anything like this again. Um, you know you got to make those kind of statements if you're going to be the guy who talks every other time. That's just it. Like, if you're going to say it about other teams, you have to be able to at least come out and be like, you know what? Mistakes were made. Things were done that nobody's really happy about in retrospect. We can't change the past, but we can look to, you know, be the leaders and do better in this coming season. You could say it without even being committal and and still come across not looking like a schmuck. Yeah. To at least come and out and be serious about it, you know? Don't don't make jokes. Yeah. Especially against teams that like lost to you because of that. Yep. Like yeah, it's just it's not cool. And I'm somebody that does a hundred percent still want to see Justin Verlander come back to the Tigers to finish his career. Yeah. And I think he's a absolute first ballot Hall of Famer. I think he's an amazing player. I've loved watching him play. But man, this is just not a good look. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it really isn't like he doesn't, you know, not that much is, is required. And, you know, to everybody out there, like Justin Verlander didn't really do anything wrong. It's not like Justin Verlander has, you know, has a domestic abuse charge or has done any of these other things. Like there's a whole, there's, it's a whole different world when it's just that, that you were the person who said these things. And just to, just to make that point clear, but it definitely hurts the way, the way he's perceived and the way his legacy is going to be you know, remembered years from now um, as one of the guys who, you know, maybe couldn't have stopped this, but certainly could have, um, you know, taken a leadership role on the, on the team in the aftermath rather than just kind of, you know, ducking and covering like all the rest of them have. Um, and well, yeah, and it's been ugly. It, it has been pretty ugly. The last season and a half or so for Justin Verlander from a PR point of view haven't yeah. been that great. Like, you know, locking a play, like a, a reporter out of the clubhouse because you just don't want to talk to him. Yeah. And there have been a couple other things that made me go, oh, I feel like as much as I like watching you play, I don't particularly think I'd want to go to a dinner party with you. Yeah, like, and, I, and I never felt that way before. Like, I mean, obviously, Justin Verlander is, is a, you know, is kind of an egomaniac. Like, I don't think that would, that would necessarily surprise anybody. Like, a lot of that that high level an athlete, like, th- they are kind of that type of person where, you know, they're they're either off or they're all the way on. And, I'm you know, I'm sure he, he could be unpleasant or something. But, you know, but I've always, like, for the most part, respected him for not having any off-the-field issues, never really, you know, having any kind of trouble doing the charity work. Like he's always, he had that like very solid reputation um, when he went to the Astros and yeah, here we are two years later. And he, even though he didn't maybe have anything to do with it is sort of the poster child now for, you know, what, what's wrong with, with, you know, the culture in that, in that clubhouse because of the, the Fennec thing, um, you know, because of all the comments that he then doesn't back up. Yeah. It's, uh, 
it's not good. Like having that platform is, is kind of a double-edged sword. Like you can use it for good mm-hmm. and everyone wants you to, but if you're the one on the, on the bad side of things and you kind of don't stand up like an adult and take your medicine. Um, yeah, you're just, you're just not going to come off well. So, and everything that he's done, you know, recently now looks different in retrospect too. And yeah, that doesn't help either. So yeah, it sucks. Um, it's been a drag. That's what I say, man. Don't have heroes. It's too bad. I mean, there's plenty of Astros players there that I liked. Like I really did become a fan of the Astros when he went over there. I was like, all right, Tiger's going to be terrible for a few years. Yep. So did I. I think we all wanted them to win the world series. Like I'm still a big Morton fan because he's moved over to the Rays. And I, I loved George Springer and I loved Alex Bregman. I loved Jose Altuve. They were just these like scrappy fun people that were enjoyable to watch and cheer for until you realize that they were cheating and it, they can't take the licks of people knowing about that. Yep. And it's really frustrating. Yeah, and I, I have the feeling that it's not going to get better just because of the, the attitude that they've handled it with so far. We've had a lot of conversations on Twitter and elsewhere um, about, you know, just how much this really helped them. Um, Fangrass has, has had a couple good pieces kind of diving into that. And there's, you know, there's some modest evidence that, you know, it, it may have helped them. But obviously, in 2018, in 2019, Alex Bregman and Jose Altuve didn't fall apart. Like, they weren't, you know, they didn't suddenly become pumpkins. Um, they're still obviously really good players, and so I don't know how much, you know, the the, the cheating scheme even necessarily helped them. But yeah. but I have a feeling that at some point one of them is going to make that argument, and and it's just going to be it's just going to be a debacle because that is an argument they should never make. Like you know, they they just have to keep apologizing and taking their lumps. And uh, I can just feel somewhere in the ether, I feel a, an excuse brewing <laughs> along those lines. It, it didn't from even help us that much. Oh right. my god, can you our numbers, imagine? You know, look at our numbers the next two years. You know, they weren't even that different. So, you know, we were just cheating, but you know, it didn't really it didn't really do any do any good. Like, yeah, good luck with all that. So. Yikes. Yeah. So anyway, I mean, that that one has has been bad. Um, We've got Rob Manfred tearing apart the minor leagues and spewing all kinds of gas. Oh, it's garbage. The statement is just insane that they released today. Yeah. New statement. Same same crap. Fire away. (laughs) Yeah. It's about just generally like the, the agreements being reached between MLB and minor league baseball. And the MLB statement is MLB is confident that we can modernize our minor league system, improve playing conditions for our players and protect baseball in communities across America. However, doing so is best achieved with minor league baseball's constructive participation and a recognition that they need to be part of the solution. So far, their approach has been neither constructive nor solutions oriented. The most constructive role Congress can play to achieve these goals is to encourage minor league baseball to return to the bargaining table so we can work together to address the real issues impacting minor league players and communities across the country. Yes, because Congress definitely has the real issues affecting minor league players, such as non-living wages in mind when they create, you know, actual legislation that doesn't list them as being actual workers. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, and I mean... Like, and they've put the cart so far ahead of the horse, you know, they just, they assume the horse completely, which is, where's the problem? Like, where, on any level, has Major League Baseball been able to argue that there's actually an issue here that needs to be solved? Like, the only issue that anyone's aware of is that Major League, or Minor League players are paid terribly. Um, There's no other issue that has been proven, like... MLB. Minor league attendance was up up one million fans last year. Yeah, and they you know they floated like oh some of these facilities need to you know to need to be upgraded. Well, all right, like I can that like that's a halfway decent point, but that doesn't involve you know wiping out forty two teams. Um, you know, just upgrade the fields. You know, there there is a a revenue sharing um, system already set up in minor league baseball, and major league baseball has suggested altering that a little bit to spread the money around a little bit more. But that, and that's all fine and good, but. To, to kind of come out there and pretend like there, there's some problem here when all this really is is teams see like another two or three million dollars that they might be able to squeeze out of the minor leagues despite the fact that they're all making bank um, and and to kind of present that like all oh, the minor leagues you know minor league baseball and all these franchise owners have got to you know face up to the reality you know that this is a serious problem that has to be solved the only problem that you guys are referencing is the fact that you're not making quite as many millions per year as you would like that's the only that's the only problem I can see, particularly uh, articulated so far. 
So yeah. yeah. Or that you have a couple million into renovating a stadium or two. Like it's not, it does not cost as much to renovate a minor league stadium as it does to build a brand new stadium for an MLB team. Like the Tigers just did it for Erie, I think. Yeah. Well, yeah, Erie's doing it. Yeah. Yeah. The Tigers yeah, obviously and... had, I don't think, put any money into it. You know, it was all no. the people of Erie and a grant from the state. And, and Erie is one of the teams on the chopping block. Yeah. Yep. Yep. After, I think, a, gr- a state grant of $12 million, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and that project should be done. And, you know, the the stadium should be, you know, looking amazing. UPMC Park should be open for business like normal this year um, and upgraded. And, yeah, then what? Like one year and then they're going to just lose their team? Um, I don't I don't know. <laughs> I don't know it's how, gross. Uh, yeah, I don't know how anybody else is, is supposed to take this another way other than a giant kind of fuck you from the from the owners, basically, on this one. And I can't I can't even stomach MLB coming out with a statement saying they want to do what's best for minor league players. Oh, I know. Minor league baseball needs to come to the table so we can do what's best. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. It would cost every one of your teams next to nothing in terms of your overall revenue to give every single player in your minor league system a living wage. But sure, minor league baseball is the problem here. Yeah, and, you know, come to what table? Because this whole thing started with MLB and Rob Manfred basically just walking up to the table and flipping it over. Um, yeah. there, there was no problem burning until... burning down 42 tables. But yeah. yeah, come on, come to the table. Yeah, yep. Yeah. All you guys are all acting, you know, acting like children out there. And you've got to, you know, you've got to come back to the fold and blah, blah, blah. But yeah, it's this is all just a money grab and there's there's no other way to look at it. And I think everyone already realizes that's exactly what it is. And it all ties in with the the fear of the impending labor war that is seems to be unavoidable now because MLB seems to be driving straight into it. So it's gross. Yeah. So we got that going on, and then we've still got you know ball fest every season where we have to decide <laughs> like did this ball fly farther than last year's ball or is that is this the, the official name we're gonna go with yeah. ball fest? Yeah, that's what it deserves. Yeah. Which of the balls at Ballfest is the juiciest ball? I'm so sorry. Yeah, juice, ju- <laughs> juicy ball gate doesn't sound great either. <laughs> oh no! Yikes! Yeah. We gotta stick it. I've I've stopped swearing so much, so we could be a family show, and this is what we did. I know, but we've just you know, it's a subject that just keeps coming up because almost any projection you see for a pitcher, um, especially a fly ball pitcher, it's like you know, yeah, he should have these numbers unless you know, the ball goes back to being the 2016 ball or the 2014 ball, in which case, you know, Justin Verlander might have a sub-2 ERA and whip and, and FIP, and, uh, or, you know, maybe the ball's even juicier, and in that case, Matt Boyd and, you know, some other fly ball pitchers might just get bombed out of the league. It's, it's I don't know, it, it's just such a weird, uh, a weird thing to have left as a complete unknown heading into a season um, of baseball where the ball seems to be changing that, that much. Um, and if, a, well, if only they could streamline the manufacture of baseballs so that they're all the same. Yeah, and I mean we've we've pointed this out on the show before that like this is probably how it always was, and you know, and and now we can measure exactly how much variance there is, and it's driving everyone nuts in the same way that instant replay was a good idea at first, but it also then made review and and you know overturning calls a necessity because we could all see in real time um the mistakes that were being made but yeah i mean you know now that this thing is out there you know and and basically this started happening in the middle of 2015 and we're now you know four and a half years on and they still haven't taken it seriously enough to to solve the problem like they they bought into rawlings um a couple years back so now they're they own the problem and yeah we still have no idea i mean in fact you know the the announcement goes out that yep we're still going to use the major league ball at triple a next year and everyone kind of has to recalculate like what what that means and the whole and it's just it's just bizarre it's just a, a a bad look to you know to have to kind of predicate your expectations for a season um you know based on which ball you know what what's the ball going to be like this year yeah uh, it's stupid yeah yeah so yeah it's just frustrating that the, that these are the stories that have, you know just cannot help but occupy the entire off season um, when we've had all kinds of, you know, interesting signings, we've had a whole bunch of interesting trades, um, but we should be talking about that stuff. We should be talking about teams that are trying to win and ignore teams like the Tigers and Pirates and some of these other bum teams who are, you know, trying to do pretty much nothing other than maybe entertain the fans. <laughs> um, and one of those teams who I would like to talk to about now. The Pirates 
have like a sub 45 million payroll right now. It's the lowest payroll in baseball now that they've traded Marte. I'm like, whoa, it is a tough year to be a Pirates fan, which could apply to, I guess, every year. Um, But especially because it feels like, I mean, they've cleaned house with all their management and everybody pretty much. And it just looks like they're starting from ground zero. It's insane. Yeah, I mean, I guess they want to give Ben Charrington, you know, like sort of a, a clean slate in a certain sense. But at the same time, I, I think a lot of people thought like, oh, maybe this is, you know, this will be part of the, you know, us turning things around and starting to spend a little bit of money. No, <laughs> no, no. It's I'm, like they threw the slate out. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure pirate fans didn't think that because I'm sure at this point pirate fans know that their ownership is trash. But yeah, but uh, that's kind of a drag um, to see, you know, to see a team basically like another team added to the, you know, now we're folding up shot before the season even starts. Um, Starling Marte goes to the Diamondbacks, who look mm. more interesting um, all the time. It's a Marte Parte it is. over at the Diamondbacks, where somebody pointed out how fun it's going to be to look at a jersey where it has K Marte yeah. and S Marte. Is there another one? I can't even think. Kettle? There's Kettle and then there's Starling. Okay. So it'll be, it'll be, not too bad. It'll be Kmart and then Smart. <laughs> <laughs> Which is pretty delightful, actually. Oh, that is nice. Yep. So, yep. So he's moved over there. And then the other move in the National League that was exciting to some degree this week, um, especially for all of those of our smart listeners who know damn good and well the Tigers weren't going to sign Nick Castellanos back. Um, or more, more, more likely that Nick Castellanos was yeah. not going to sign himself back with the Tigers. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yep, some of some of both. Although it still would have been a good idea for us. Um, but Nick Castellanos signs with the Reds, four years, sixty-four million dollars. Um, he's got an opt-out after the first year, and he should be playing right field, I assume, for the Cincinnati Reds this year. And that's, um, I don't know. Like the Cincinnati Reds are an interesting team. Like they, they are. They've done quite a few things this off season. They signed Shigo uh, Akiyama to play center field from Japan, and you know they had they hired Kyle Body, um, who is the founder of Driveline Baseball, to come in there and work with their pitchers and and help in setting up like their pitch lab and all that kind of stuff. They already traded for Trevor Bauer, um, mm-hmm. who obviously he and Body are close friends. So. Um, they've kind of got themselves like a like a you know advanced pitch lab thing going on down there. Um, they signed Mike Wustakis. They've done some things. Um, do you think they're, they're a team that's always intriguing to me because I feel like they're always like last season they made moves to get Puig. Yeah. They they do very interesting things, and it never works out for them. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of they're a bit like the Mariners in a certain sense, or at least in yes. re- recent years. There's a lot of lot of sound and fury, but they seem to come up with the same win totals almost every every year. But um, like, I definitely made the joke when they made the signing where I was just like, "It's cool. The Reds are making moves. Maybe they'll finish fourth in the NL Central <laughs> this year." Because yep. it's, it's I, I I like the Reds. They're a team that I find very interesting. I like to see what they're doing. I kind of like to follow where they're at. And I just, every time they just seem to fall short of any kind of like achievement. Yeah. And you know, they kind of have had started to open themselves up a window. Like the farm system had gotten pretty good. Um, some of their top tier talent had come along and, and, and was doing well. They brought up Nick Senzel last year. Um, they've got some pitchers who are pretty good, but you know, Joey Votto basically was like a league average hitter last year, and is Say getting nothing ill of Joey Votto. Well, Joey Votto is perfect, but he is getting older, and so if they want to win, you know, and they've only got Trevor Bauer for one more year, so they're in this this spot where they're they've opened a minor window for themselves, but it's not great, and yet they've kind of burned through the farm system already, so they feel like a team that should have been super motivated, and they've been like fairly motivated. Um, you know, I think they committed one hundred and. 64 read earlier let's see 164 million um yeah total invested in free agents this offseason which is cool but then you look at the projections and obviously like the pirates have basically folded up shop so the cubs have done almost nothing this offseason yep the cardinals have done nothing except lose marcelo zuna yeah i i mean i'm I'm not i'm thinking the cards are kind of planning to rest on their their laurels a bit and i like a skin illness. Yeah, they've got you know the Cardinals have a couple Third guys coming back. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. So, but the Cubs, I feel like they should have done something. Like there's, if they wanted to stay competitive, they really struggled last season and it's not like they've done anything to make themselves better since then. Um, and the Brewers are interesting. I don't, I don't know. Cause I think, I can't remember what the prognosis for Yelich was. I don't think he's going to be back to start the season. Yeah, it did seem like he's going to miss a little bit of time. And then they traded for Luis Urias from um, the San Diego Padres and sent Trent Grisham out there. And Urias was supposed to be their starting shortstop, I believe, to slot in next to Kestrin Hura, who was uh, their top prospect who came up last year and was really good. But Urias has a like a broken hamate bone now and is going to be out for like eight or nine weeks. So that doesn't help them. Um, the Brewers have a couple pitchers um, coming back who might help out a little bit, but yeah, ov- overall, like the whole division and I'm looking at the projections, the Cubs are projected for 40.6 war. So they're still pretty prohibitively the favorite um, the Brewers are projected for 36.7 Cardinals, 35.3 Reds, 33.1 with the Pirates way down mm. at 30. So they still like the Cubs, but yeah, I mean, Cole Hamels left. Um, the only reason they even sniffed the postseason last year is because Nick Castellanos went there and just just miggied out for or JD'd out for uh, two solid months and was just incredible. He big Nick energyed his way through the end of the season. Yeah, I believe was true. how the Cubs put that. Yep, yeah, yeah. He almost carried him with his big Nick energy yeah. all the way over the finish line. Can we talk about that for one second before we get to projections? Sure. Yeah. Go for it. I don't even want to talk for- about the projections that much. I mean, it's all they're all kind of in the same banned those those four teams yeah go ahead for two years we as tigers writers had to correct ourselves had to edit others and had to refer to him as nicholas (laughs) for two years and then all of a sudden he goes to the reds and what's this he's nick again yeah what's that about just nicholas just like i'm genuinely a little bit mad about this (laughs) Because I was like so constantly be Nicholas in headlines and to correct Nicholas and other people's articles that I was editing. And I even when I wrote the intro article for like Bleed Cubby Blue and he went over there, I was like making sure that people knew he's a Nicholas. And then goes to the Reds and it's like, well, okay, I'm Nick now. Yeah, I know. And there was the whole story that came with it when he wanted to be called Nicholas, you know, his dad had just gone through brain cancer and recovered and, you know, Nick was like really rethinking things and wanted to go by his, his full name that his dad had given, you know, there was like a whole spiel that kind of came with it. And um, so, we, you know, as, as is our job, it's to take it. And obviously none of our listenership probably gives a goddamn about this, but yeah, it is, it's kind of funny to see that become such a big thing. And like all these people have to like remind themselves constantly to like, no, we're going, it's Nicholas now. We're calling him Nicholas. That's what he like, wants. There's press releases about this stuff. This is stuff that we have to actually, it was like Matt Boyd became Matthew Boyd. And he is still right now, in spite of everything you'll see on his social media, officially Matthew Boyd. Yep. Yep. And then, you know, that that's just, just one final, you know, throw of the fingers toward us, I guess, from Nick, which, uh, you know, I guess, annoying. I guess that's it's the annoying. way it goes. So, yeah. So, you know, I assume Nick is going to go to Cincinnati and do really well. Obviously, it's a good hitting park. He should he should uh, tear it up there pretty well. But, you know, they, they weren't desperate in the outfield to begin with. And, I mean, they had, like, Aristides Aquino. They, they signed Akiyama, who we mentioned. They had Nick Senzel out there. Um, you know, adding Nick to that group gives you a really good veteran hitter. Um, but it doesn't necessarily change their projection all that much. I think Dan Simborski, um, who created Zips and operates the Zips projection system, um, said that, yeah, like it only changed the projection by like a, a less than two wins, like maybe even like pretty close to a win, if I remember right. Um, which, you know, just, just tells you what like a replacement, having a replacement level player or two around can do because, you know, they had a couple of guys who were worth, you know, one maybe even pushing toward league average, toward two war. And then you get Nick, who's probably a three war player. And you're like, yeah, we spent all this money. We got kind of a, not a star, but like a, a really good, you know, major league hitter. And, and now everybody looks at you and thinks like, oh yeah, they might win another game. <laughs> it's, it's rough. It's rough when you're uh Forest. Yeah. Suarez Start is now the season out. two yep. surgery. Yep. He had, uh, cartilage loose in his shoulder from some swimming incident you know, he hurt himself in a swimming pool yeah yeah 
Yeah. That's ridiculous. Yeah, well, better than fighting off a wild boar. I guess. So Yeah, or like <laughs> I guess or guitar hero injuries. Oh yeah. Yeah. You hate to see it happen. Sorry. Hate to see some Never nonsense forget. like that. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, I mean overall, like the Central I think the NL Central should be a pretty interesting division. It's hard, it's just hard to look at the Cubs and, and, and kind of see them as like the the four win favorite by that much because it just doesn't I don't know. This doesn't really feel like it. Um one other interesting bit of Cubs news is that Chris Bryant's hearing about his Super 2 status, um, which all comes about because the Cubs basically waited one day long enough um, so that they could play him in whatever it was, 2015, without actually having to pay him for a year. Um, so they basically gamed his service time to get that extra year. Um, he's suing to get that status changed, and that, sh- that should be interesting just to see how that plays out because it'll change a few things for the Cubs. And it also prompted a few quotes from Tigers general manager Al Avila, where he was talking about, you know, and, and this is basically what Al Avila has to say, because you can't say, like, I'm going to game service time. But he actually had to come out there and kind of say, like, no, you know, if, if, you know, if we think Matt Manning and Casey Mize are ready to pitch, you know, I wasn't, you know, my predecessor didn't do things that way. And I wasn't brought up to to stall guys if they're ready to go. So, yeah, <laughs> you know, we'll bring those guys up if they're ready. You know, it was like, oh, OK. Sure you will. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we'll see. Uh, You know, we probably will see them late in the season. But yeah, the odds that Casey Mize dominates in Toledo are fairly high. The odds that Casey Mize gets called up to Detroit in June or something because he's pitching so well. um, Just, just, yeah. I don't know. It kind of beggars belief. It'd be nice. It'd be nice. It'd be a treat for the fans, let's say. But yeah, it's hard to believe that's going to happen. Yeah. I'm not holding my breath on that one. Yeah. So speaking of my, you're you're my prospect guy. You know your stuff. Yeah. I was kind of shocked to see Manning ranked higher on the Fangraphs prospect list. Yeah, you know, I was kind of surprised as well because they hadn't done that um, since since we took Casey Mize. He had been ahead. Um, obviously, I've been the 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 Matt Manning bandwagon conductor since we got him and have always had him number one. So it was kind of cool, I guess, to see, you know, that they, that someone who I respect in terms of Eric and Kylie um, agreed and put him up there. But yeah, I mean, I guess it just kind of comes back to Casey Mize having a little bit of injury trouble while Matt Manning has just been a innings eating horse um, ever since we got him. And I think he like tweaked an oblique for a couple weeks in 2017 to start the year. And other than that, uh, he's just been eating up innings and building every year and is kind of on pace to throw 160 or 170 now. So, yeah, that was cool. I mean, it's um, it's a good problem to have. Um, I think Casey Mize is probably more Major League ready, um, but either one of them could probably come up and, and handle Major League pitching or hitters right now. Um, maybe not at their peak ability ever, but um, but they're certainly capable of that already. And in fact, it was kind of depressing looking through some of the Tigers' zips projections because you saw that like Isaac Paredes actually projected better than anyone we were going to play at third base at third Ugh. base, and like Matt Manning projected better than like I think a third of the rotation, and so did Casey. So yeah, yeah. So you know, I guess Al's promise there is 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 going to be put to the test because it's very likely that yeah, th- three or four of the Tigers' top six arms are going to be at Toledo and aren't going to be getting called up this year. So, yeah. So if you're in the Toledo, Ohio area, yeah, you uh, might see definitely me. Yep. go to some mud hens games and you'll probably see better baseball than you will in Detroit. Yep. Yep. I, that's, that's good advice. Cause yeah, I'm going to be down, uh, down there quite a bit to, to watch those guys. Um, it's, it'll be cool to be able to see them coming through at, um, at fifth third, because you know, it's a, it's a nice park. It's also like small and cozy. So you're going to get a real good look at Casey Mize and Matt Manning and Scooble and Parades and everybody else you, you want to see. So yeah, that um, that might be more entertaining than the, the product on the, on the field in Comerica park most of the time. So yeah, yeah, that's going to be a thing to watch out. But yes, Fangraphs did release, release their um, Tigers top 38 prospects. Um, one thing that's notable about that is the fact that they had 38 prospects on the list because they, they vary it based on who they think is worth writing up. And the Tigers had a lot more interesting players this time. Um, it's a good read over at Fangraphs. Uh, they have a couple interesting guys um, a lot higher than in some of um, some of the other scouting sites um, like Baseball America. Um, there was there were some interesting choices. Um, it was cool to see Kyder Montero um, who pitched uh, basically in the Gulf Coast League and then um, out in Connecticut for the Connecticut Tigers in the New York Penn League. Um, the rookie ball levels this year 
Um, and to see, you know, that there's at least one guy who maybe people hadn't heard of yet who was, was creeping onto, um, onto the list pretty much, pretty far down, down toward the back. I can't remember exactly where they had him, but, um, but he was in there and I was, I was happy to see that because he was a guy who I happened to be first in on, which, which doesn't happen very often. <laughs> but, uh, but when you cover the minor leagues every single day, um, you, you notice when a guy stands out and I watch a lot of minor league TV during the season and he definitely popped out for, um, having a good fastball and a pretty eye-popping uh, breaking ball as well. Um, really nice delivery. He's a he's a skinny little guy, though. He's another guy who's like 6'1". Um, I, I think they've got him listed at like under 150 pounds. He looked bigger than bigger than that. Uh, but he kind of looks more like a future reliever, but, um, but maybe a really good one. And they also have some spin rate data now um, that you can find on there for a lot of the, the players that they've got scouting reports up for 2020. Um, so there's some interesting data um, on, on that front. You can see some spin rate data on guys, um, what their average velocity was, um, what their max velocity was, all that kind of stuff. And I wouldn't have guessed that Montero had this this highest spin rate, but um, he, apparently he's got a 3,000 RPM breaking ball, oh, which is wow. super elite um, in the in the spin rate category. Obviously, it's all how you use it from there, but yeah, there's some raw material there. So that was cool to see him up there. And yeah, there's a couple other, there are a couple of interesting notes. Otherwise, um, they really like Riley Green, obviously. Um, they like Paredes, although everyone continues to, to harp endlessly on Isaac Paredes, like the things that aren't great about him, rather than the fact that he's one of the best pure hitters in the minor leagues. It's like, yeah, but it, he can't really play short. And <laughs> well, he isn't hitting as many home runs as we'd like to see. Yet. It's like, yeah, but he's like striking out you know less than he's walking basically at this point just hitting lasers all over the place settle down he's only not even 21 yet so yeah so anyway yeah check that list out um we'll be kind of writing a few things um on it but we also have a a post up on the site where if you want to get in there and talk to all of our readers um who are the obsessive prospect followers um there's a whole bunch of good conversations that'll be going on there so that was um yeah that was cool I, i look forward to their list more than anybody else's so it was good to see that pop out there. Um, the it's, tiger- it's a pretty accessible one too, which is nice. Not not just in terms yeah. of being free, but also in that like even if you're not deep into prospect lingo or everything like that, I find that the Fangraphs lists are usually pretty easy to read at a surface level if you're just um, looking for information on why prospects are good. <coughs> yeah, yeah, they're both really good writers. I think, yeah. and that that helps a lot because they don't just bury themselves in lingo that they know the average baseball fan isn't necessarily going to know exactly what they mean. Um, they actually kind of break it down um, for you, especially with a lot of the the higher ranked prospects. They get into pretty good detail. So, yep. So a lot to look forward to this year on the farm side of things as well. Um, and we'll be covering that as usual with um, with quite a bit of intensity because it's actually kind of been more of the fun side of things the past couple of years. Um, to see the system coming around this much, but um, still a lot of work to do though, too. Like it's like a really good farm system, but there's still a couple that are better. Um, and all those teams have, you know, a major league roster as well, <laughs> which we uh, decidedly lack. Like it, it, like you look at the Rays who Ashley knows better than I do, but the Rays farm system is probably the best in the game. And that's a team that went to the playoffs last year. Whereas the tiger system isn't even yet that good and Matt Boyd is the only one that you can pretty much bank on being an above average player um, on the Tigers next year. That tells you how far we got it to go. We might actually see Wander Franco make his debut this year. We'll see. Oh yeah. That'd be super exciting. Uh, I would love it. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. He's going to be fun. You guys are going to have a lot of fun with him. He can hit. Well, the thing I'm worried about is what happens. And here's the thing that came up, and you might find this amusing. This was a discussion that came up on Twitter about what happens to Willie Adamas when when the Wander Franco era and begins. Oh yeah. And I'm like, does anybody doubt that the Rays would be willing to trade <laughs> Willie Adamas? And then I'm like, I hear the Tigers might need a future shortstop. Yeah. And it just would that not be the perfect poetry to get Willie Adamas back? Yep. That's how it goes here too. Like the Tigers, when they when they're on someone and and they get a chance to come back and get them later, they 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 like to do that. Like we've seen it in in the prospect realm as well, where they draft a kid, he decides to go to school, they circle back, and I mean that stuff yeah. happens all the time. But but yeah, the Tigers in particular are kind of known for like having one of their farm system teams beat up by some pitcher and then trading for that pitcher because they were like, oh, we saw him, he's great. <laughs> 
Um, hopefully, yeah. We're, so it's we're, absolutely a move I could see them making. Yeah, and I would love it. Yeah. I would love because I, I think Willie Thomas is so much fun, and he's just starting to come into like that MLB level, like shortstop material. Like he struggled a bit in his first full season, but last year he was showing some real strength. And uh, yeah, gosh, that would be a lot of fun. Yeah, he's still real young too. Or they could just oh, like, yeah. bump Willie over to second base and just roll, I guess. Too got that. Let's see what happens. Yeah. So that's about it. The Tigers, they added Kenny's Vargas, um, who was a Minnesota Twins first baseman um, a couple years ago, has been playing in Japan. Um, they picked him up on a minor league deal. But other than that, um, it doesn't feel like there's a whole lot going on. We wrote a little bit about some of the outfielders that are still available because the Tigers seem to still at least be keeping an eye on that market. Um, so you can look for that. Like whether you know who you I want thought of Yasiel today. Puig or whether you just want like Domingo Santana or Hunter Pence or something. Something you know small. who I thought of today for an outfield? Because Hunter Pence has been largely a DH since he's like, what, 38 now? Yeah. You, so my thought was, we didn't see any of Lonnie Chisholm Hall last year because of injury. Yeah. But then I was looking at his 2018 and prior like years, and I don't know where he's at in his recovery. Like, There's been nothing on MLBTR about it. He hasn't been doing showcases. But he would be a very interesting get if he was back to 100%. I mean, there were guys already talking about Steven Souza Jr. being an interesting pickup. And he just came back from like that horrific ACL injury. Yeah. And now he's rumored to be going to the Cubs. I think that's almost a done deal. Yeah, I think that but, locked. Like, yep. Yeah, Lonnie Chisholm, I think, would be a very interesting one to look at as like an under-the-radar free agent outfield pick. Uh, you know, that is a good call because he always, he, I mean, he smashes right-handed pitching. He's always done damage against us. And yeah, I kind of, I overlooked him when I made that list because yeah, there was, there was just nothing on him and I didn't know if, if he was retiring or if he'd gone to play ball somewhere else. But yeah, that's someone to look into. You know who I did mention too was, uh, I don't know. Maybe Jason Kipnis can play right field. I don't know. There's a left-handed bat. <laughs> he played a little center. Did he? There's yeah. no reason. Yeah, he played a little for the Indians in, in the outfield. There's no reason I don't think he couldn't play. I mean, we've moved third baseman to the right field before. I don't know why we couldn't try doing a second baseman to right field. Yep. Um, the yeah. Only, I, the only problem with adding him is that you know Guardy will play him like all the time. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. God. Yeah, that's so true. But I like Kipnis, and he hasn't been getting any interest from other teams. Um, I, I do still think he's, like, I like that now this is just the, which former Indians can we put on the team? Um, <laughs> yeah. chat, at least it's but, not the Pirates or the Twins, yeah. Well, I mean, that Lonnie Chisholm was with the Pirates last year, so really, oh, we've been covering it, all oh. our bases. He didn't play a single game for them, mm-hmm. but yeah, just <laughs> he was definitely out, yeah. still on the team. It definitely fits the mold, so, oh, yeah, I, I wish I knew more about where he was, like, physically, because he did miss the entire season last season because of injury, and that's all we've heard. Like, at least with Steven Souza Jr. missing the season, there was a lot of talk, oh, I'm now 100%. I'm ready to play. I've been doing this. There's video of him doing drills and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but I haven't seen anything about Chisholm and where he's at. And he's young enough. I don't think he's, like, what, 32 or 33, that there's no reason he couldn't come back and play in the majors unless, like, he really hurt himself. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Yep. So that might be someone else um, worth worth looking at, at least, and seeing kind of where he's at um or yeah i don't know at the end of the day like if they just decide to roll as is like whatever because <laughs> like as happy as i am that they signed a few people and the team should be better this year like none of it none of it is long term at all um and it, it, it's all just gonna wash away but uh but at least we'll have a little bit more fun team to watch this year as the mm-hmm. the kid pitchers all start making their way up there so that's about it. I don't. Uh, I don't think we have a whole lot else until we start getting a little closer to spring training. <laughs> um, I'm going to do a podcast with Jay Markle, um, who's one of our prospect writers, probably this week, and we'll talk a little bit about like who we think is is on the upswing, who we're worried about, and who needs to have a big year, um, what some of the top tools in the system are. We got a whole bunch of ideas, so we'll be bringing that to you. And then Ashley, you do have a YouTube video to promote this week. I will. I was supposed to put one up today, but I didn't because I forgot to upload it. Um, so it's one I was actually supposed to put up last week, but it's all about mascots. That'll go up on Thursday. Uh, and then I have a new lingo lesson on Saturday. And then this coming weekend, I'll be filming a whole thing about the Astros debacle oh, awesome. um, to kind of explain it to everybody. I meant to do all, all of this last weekend <laughs> and ended up spending my entire week finishing writing. Yeah, but you did. You wrote a book, another one, and it's done. 
22,000 words in two weeks, in two days, yes. That's incredible. Dang. Yeah. Good job. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. All right. Um, so yeah. This will be my 2029th or something like that. Your 29th novel? Uh, 29th novel or novella, yes. Dang. My, my 29th completed work. That blows my mind. That is amazing. A lot. Yep, it sure is. Man. Man. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Apparently, I need to get I need to get my writing career uh, going at some point before Ashley just laps me for the 40th time. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I've already started on book 30, so you're going to have to pick up the pace. Damn it. They always say the first one's the hardest. Um, uh, you know what? Okay, so here's something interesting about that oh, statement. Okay, yeah. Um, they say that, and I don't know if it's true or not. I think the first one takes you the longest, but I was, I mean, in a bunch of author groups, like Facebook pages, and somebody pointed out that it's actually like the first 30, they say, are like easier because it's after 30 or so that suddenly it gets harder to get original ideas and harder to do unique stories Mm, because you're just not quite as brimming full of ideas anymore. And I'm like, I don't know. For me right now, the ideas are the easy part. It's finding time to like actually get them all out yeah. and actually write a book. That's the hard part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It seems like it. You know, just the day to day grind of like, I'm going to sit down. I'm going to knock out this many words. I'm going to make myself do it. Like yep. daily word counts are a requirement. I swear to God, if you want a book, even if you just set like a 500 word goal for yourself every day, like mine for this year is 1500. I have to write 1500 words a day, every day at a minimum. Yeah. Um, and I've, I've been averaging that out. I think I've, I'm at about 50,000 words or so for the year right now. Um, cause I have a spreadsheet, of course I have a spreadsheet. <laughs> Where I track my daily words. Um, <laughs> but I find it helps. Like if you're forcing yourself to sit down and you say, okay, well, 1500 is the goal. But even if I only get out 250 today, at least I put 250 words down. At least you're giving yourself something. That's better than sitting there thinking I should be writing. You know right. what I mean? Right. Get down and, and just do some every day. And just get yourself into that groove. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. There it is, folks. There's, there's your good, good writing tip for the day. From someone who knows for sure. <laughs> Dang. Yeah, that's just impressive as hell to think of 30 novels. It's a lot. Yeah, it is. You're amazing. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. On that note, follow Ashley at 90 Feet From Home on Twitter. Um, you can follow me at Fiscadoro74 on Twitter. And we'll be back in your ear pretty shortly. Ashley, have a good night. You too. Bye-bye.